Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, a show that dedicates itself to the best racket sport in the world. For the most extensive tennis podcast, let's join Ryan Tennyson, Josh Campbell, Joel Fritchie, and your host, Val In one of the most exciting tournaments of the year, Monte Carlo has been somewhat soured by Jared Donaldson's aggressive encounter with umpire Arnal Gabas in his first round loss to Albert Ramos Vinales. Many in the stadium thought a brawl would break out, as did viewers at home. Donaldson has since been fined US dollars causing the question to be raised, was it enough? This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo. We've got plenty to get through tonight, including that dust-up between Donaldson and the umpire in Monte Carlo. Also, David, oh, sorry, Fed Cup previews. Australia taking on the Netherlands in Wollongong in the World Group playoffs, along with the World Group semi-final ties between France and America, along with Belarus, uh, not Belarus, who's the other tie? It is Germany and the Czech Republic. That is going to be an absolute cracker of a tie. We're also going to talk about the broadcast rights between Channel 9 and Channel 7. 7 handing over the tennis rights to 9 uh, for the 2020 Australian Open. But before we do any of that. We've got two other guys in the studio with me that uh, are going to discuss all of these issues with me. One of them is Joel Fritchie, looking directly across from me. How are you, mate? Hey, boys. How are you? Um, Going well. Very good. Very good. And what's what's been happening? Um, not much, mate. Just been uh, trying to keep track of all the all the sports. Been a lot of them going on. Yeah, um, this is peak sports time, isn't yeah, it? During the it year, is. soccer's still yeah. going. Tennis getting into the swing of things. AFL's on. Um, er- everything's ticking along at the moment. And uh, yourself, Josh Campbell, as well. How are you? I'm good. I, as you said, there's a lot of sport going on, and I couldn't be happier. It's fantastic. Beautiful. Um, well, look, let's let's start off with. The Jared Donaldson interview, and or not the interview. Sorry, I should say it wasn't really an interview. But look, he's been fined six thousand two hundred dollars for this uh, for this outburst at the umpire. He couldn't. He wanted a mark to be called in or out, and the umpire couldn't see it. And he's pretty much he's he's been he's very angry about what the umpire can see. And we're going to play that for you now, and we'll discuss it a little bit afterwards. But here's what Jared Donaldson had to say to umpire Anna Gabas in Monte Carlo. What are you talking about? No, no, no. Yeah, right this was a previous point. So we, what mark this was, we, are, for, me, for me, just touch the line. Okay, show me mark. Show me well, mark. The fact that I, I cannot see the mark there, but they, it was for sure on the line. Yeah, I couldn't see a mark. I can, well, obviously there's no, a mark no. right no. here. Oh, just come down. It's not. 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 It's in an umpire's face like what Donaldson did. And if you haven't seen the video, I do recommend going to watch it. But what did you guys make of it? We'll start with you, Joel. What did you actually think of what Donaldson did? Uh, I think a good word to use for it is confrontational. Uh, yeah. That's not really what we want to see between uh, players and umpires. So I think the lesson from me from all this um, was... We need to find a way on the clay to allow the chair umpires, uh, the umpires, the chair umpires to actually stay in the chair. Um, because if they go down onto the court, then that um, allows for that kind of confrontational, um, uh, I guess. Um, a- I'm sorry, Josh. Attitude. Um, so I think that needs to change because I mean we haven't really seen it a lot before. Uh, but that said, there's always the possibility. So I think when that's allowed to happen, then we run the risk. 
And is I this think the, you can is see about uh, Joel's very very passionate about that because he's knocking over my laptop trying to make a point. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's true. How many times have we knocked into your ginormous monstrosity of a laptop? It is big. It is good. It, it's you know it's a sign of the times. But um, look, is this the debate that we've been having for probably three years since we've been doing this show? Get Hawkeye on clay. It is not that hard. Um, not that hard. The TV, the TV studios and broadcasters have got it. Why can't we use it? I, Why, and I understand it's not foolproof, especially on clay. It's pretty hard to put in, but they use it on grass. Why can't they use it on clay? It is it, just use it. It's there. It's a simple solution, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whilst I agree with your point that there really should be Hawkeye and clay, that's not what we should be talking about right now because that's not that for me. That's no. not the issue. <laughs> the issue is that. Uh, intimidating an umpire in the way that Gerald Donaldson did is absolutely unacceptable mm-hmm. and needs to be stamped out immediately. Yeah, Josh, you're right. And look, what what he did, he went pretty much right up to his face and he sort of cocked his chest like a rooster does when a rooster gets angry and started like, you know, moving his, moving cross- his neck. He and- crossed the line between argumentative and then intimidating. Yeah. He took that extra step and it wasn't just verbal, it was physical. Mm-hmm. And that's like when, when you're standing over the top of someone and you... To a lot of people, a lot of people in the um, the stands and then on Twitter a lot were surprised that there wasn't a al- genuine altercation between the two because the way he was standing looked like he was going to throw a punch. Oh, it looked it looked really close. But how how did you find the way that um, Anna Gabas, the the umpire, how did you find the way that he handled it, guys? Actually, pretty well. I honest. thought so too. Yeah, I actually, I'm going to give him some credit. He was actually really cool, calm, um, and collected. He didn't really seem. Um, intimidated at all as, as as much as those tactics sort of implied intimidation he didn't mm. really seem to get flustered too much no he didn't and that was that's the thing umpires need to hold their own yeah. in this situation and you can have a guy maybe like Rafael Nadal Roger Federer having a go at you and because of their stature and who they are some umpires would be like alright I'm sorry it's Rafa Roger yeah. but I think umpires need to take a stand and really need to be they need to be authoritative that's what they're there to do they're there to you know O, um, oversee the rules and over, uh, oversee that the rules are being abided he was, in the game. And, he was both calm and stern yeah, in and the it way was he great. approached it. And Donaldson wanted the supervisor, ended up losing the match, um, probably deservedly so, and Albert ramos Vinales made the final of Monte Carlo last year, so he's, 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 he's on his he, way. He's been in the background of a lot of altercations with umpires because he was there when uh, Victor Troitsky had his altercation at he Wimbledon. He was too. That was, that's exactly Maybe right. Maybe it's his fault. <laughs> well, he's the common denominator in both of them. But look, that that is actually a really good point. But I don't think he is like we've seen both the videos now. They're both pretty one sided, or they're both. It's both pretty easy to determine which who was at fault. But look, Donaldson fined six thousand two hundred dollars. Now, personally, my view is that probably not enough. Joel, agree, or do you think that seems about right? For he hasn't offended much. I think he's had one altercation in the past. But what, what do you think? Yeah, um, look, I, I think the way that it, it happened, um, it's probably not enough. I think if we're going to deter people from um, using those sort of um, intimidation tactics on umpires, I guess a, a lot of a lot of players can easily afford to pay that amount of money. Mm. Uh, I mean, I guess we're looking at um, some lower rank players um, that you know that would probably be a steep fine for them, um, certainly, but. Uh, I guess if, we, if we're going to detract the whole tour, both on the men's and women's side, we probably need to be uh, more forceful and and I guess be, be finding um, more than that. If if that's if that's the uh, sanction they want to take, if they want to find players, it probably needs to be more. Um, you know, so it's not just a mosquito in the ear of an elephant across the board. Yeah, and to make maybe to make an example of someone, we've seen Nick Kyrgios yeah, has yeah. been suspended, but 
he's been more so just acting like an idiot, swearing. But Donald, I don't think Nick Kyrgios has ever confronted an umpire, and we've seen. I think probably the most I think obvious it's more the one. Way he stood over him. I don't think. Yeah, that's. That, I haven't seen that. No, um, I don't know if I've seen that in recent history. No, well, Serena. And McEnroe are the only ones that come to mind when Serena threatened to shove the ball down the lineswoman's throat. Yes, but again, um, even that, as, as bad as that was, that was still verbal. There wasn't like a physical in, um, no. direct intimidation. And didn't, she didn't really scream in the face no. of the umpire. And that was, it was really, there, it was, was a no little part, frightening. There was no part of you that thought that Serena Williams was going to like physically actually attack her. Yeah. yeah. But for John, Gerald Donaldson, you actually weren't sure in the moment. Mm. Like, he was he was definitely... It was a bit of white line fever there. Yeah, and, um, yeah Donaldson, I, I'm not sure where it came mm. from and pro- possibly a little bit I, of frustration that he was losing yeah. the match, but... Just wanted to say this as well. I think the fine is severely under what it should be. That's yeah. not even close to what I think it deserves. What do you think it deserves? Um, I would say 25 grand, I think. 25? Yeah, something like that. Send a message. More importantly, I think there needs to be game suspensions involved in this. Okay. So, what, something maybe like this a, to- that, that a tournament? In it, maybe a, a tournament suspension, maybe a month suspension, something like that. If he misses the French Open, imagine the, the statement that that makes to um, the rest of the competition saying any form of physical intimidation, umpire, not acceptable whatsoever. I think cause, because it's uh, not the first time we've seen this in, in a while where something like this has happened, I think um, the, uh, the ten- tennis really needs to make a stamp on this. Yeah, well, it's a, that's a very hefty suspension that, that you bring up. And Joel, like, I'm not sure that that is... I, I think maybe 6,200 probably isn't enough. Mm. 25, I'm not sure. I was thinking maybe 10, 12. Um, 25 is is a lot, Josh. Like, and I know we need to make a statement, or the well, ATP how, needs to make a statement. How much is um first but, round payment for Monte Carlo? Um, let me look this up. But it, it'd be it'd be a fair bit. You're playing in the I first round of a Masters. More, I would 1, think it would be more than the fine. And I think 100 percent it's more than the fine. If it's not, I'll be then, really surprised. Then where's the issue? Yeah, look up his look up. Well, maybe find look him. Look up how much he makes in a year. It'd be well, comfortably over. It'd be probably. Seventeen thousand three hundred and fifty euros, so, so which I, is a lot. Like that, that's a fair bit. And yeah. look, maybe you find him the match fee for the tournament and his tournament prize money for that. Um, oh, that that'd be a fair punishment. I think, yeah, that could be a fair punishment. But look, it's 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 up I, to I the still, ATP. I still think there needs to be a lot more done than what's been done right now because the umpires don't deserve that. I don't no. think. And um, but coming back to that, Joel. Our argument from before. This could have all been prevented if clay courts just maybe used Hawkeye. Mm. Um, just yeah. uh, if, if any clay court tournament directors are listening, um, use Hawkeye, Hawkeye, not Hawkeye. Um, <laughs> I don't know what Hawkeye is, but uh, I don't want to find out. It sounds bad. Um, but look, that's the Jared Donaldson issue. We'll talk more about Monte Carlo as we get there with the previews. But another big issue that we didn't get to talk about last week, Josh, was the Australian tennis broadcasting rights. And Channel 7 have had a monopoly over the tennis broadcasting rights for many years. Nine has chipped in with Wimbledon. Um, Fox Sports has obviously done very well getting the, the overseas tournaments. But Channel, 9, uh, Channel 7 has been the broadcaster of the Australian Open for 40 years. And after 2019, that will not be the case for at least five years. Years. Channel 9 has taken the broadcast rights for the Australian Open, Brisbane International, Sydney International, uh, Hopman Cup, Kuyong, and also Hobart, which Channel 7 hasn't broadcasted uh, well in the last 20 years at least. So, five-year deal, $300 million. What did you think when you first saw this, guys? We'll start with you, Josh. What did you think when you saw Channel 7 was not going to have the broadcast rights for the tennis? It's well, a pretty massive step. It doesn't make any sense. Like... 
from even from like a, a business standpoint, like if as a business decision, I can kind of understand it, like trying to get um, control over certain sporting events because obviously sports just a, a money making monopoly yeah. at the moment. Um, but Channel Seven, it, it's the perfect home for tennis. Like the way it, it's structured, the way it's set up, they've got they've signed all the the tennis um, commentators. You have got all the staff and. Ma- it fits well. Channel Nine taking it now out of nowhere when they don't seem like they have any of the personality to to go with presenting the Australian Open, the Hopman Cup, the Sydney, the Brisbane, and Hobart Internationals. It, it's confusing. And but why? Why do you think? Why do you think now? Now Nine has lost the cricket, which yes. they've had for thirty five years. So they've pretty much done a role reversal. It, seven will get the cricket. It, Nine will get the tennis next year. Though seven will have both cricket and tennis. So I'm not sure how they're going to do all that. But what? Seven's probably Seven's coverage in my in my opinion anyway has waned a little bit over the last couple of years. It's been they're trying to make it too entertaining and as free to wear channels do with a lot of sports now, they try and take it away from the sport a little bit. We've seen that with the Formula One coverage, we've yeah. seen it with other things, but I kinda understand that though, because they're trying to get a broader yeah. audience. Yeah. They're trying to um go further than just your regular sports fans. They're trying to find those people who are necessarily interested in sport as much and more in the entertainment aspect of it. But sometimes it's back to basics that works. Sometimes. But, if you want to maintain your current fan base, hundred yeah. percent you need to kind of go back to those basics. But I how how is Channel Nine going to do that better? Mm. And that's what that's what I want to know. And Joel, what can Channel Nine do to make the tennis coverage better? Because there's some aspects of Channel 7's coverage that are amazing. There's some aspects that are crap. We we can say that. But what can they do? And who can they bring in? What what Channel Nine personalities? can actually take over this broadcast and really anchor it, sort of like what a Bruce McAvaney's done, Hamish McLaughlin, Mel McLaughlin, what they've all done. Because um, there's no real Channel 9 journos apart from Ken Sutcliffe, who's retired now. Who who anchors it? Who mm. that That's what worries me the most. Like, do you get Aaron Mullen or, or Cam Williams? What, yeah, what do you do? Yeah, possibly. I'm just sort of trying to rack my brain as to who... Um you know, who, who is a sporting personality on Channel 9. There's obviously quite a few of them, but when it comes to tennis, there's... It's pretty slim pickings. Let's no. let's face it. Mm. I, to be honest with you guys, I actually I almost think that the tennis coverage could do with a bit of a refresh. Yeah. Um, and um, I actually think it moving to Channel Nine will help serve that purpose. I guess then, as you say, Val, the next um, step is is how they will do it. So when it comes to personnel, I I believe that they will have to poach talent from other sources. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. It, it's it's pretty clear to me not being able to actually think of someone that can anchor a tennis coverage uh, that they need to look elsewhere to find the best people for it. Well, Channel Nine CEO has said that they are looking at getting Jim Courier and Leighton Hewitt over from Seven, which I think is a start because I if we lose if we le- lose Jim Courier's post match yeah. interviews, that's a massive massive loss for the Australian it is Open. Huge. It's yeah. because you go on Rod Laver Arena. You get Jim Courier's interviews. That's one of the perks of actually being there because he, he himself is almost a draw card for the events. Well, he is because people actually really enjoy the interviews. He knows the plays intricately. He knows the stats. He he brings out their characters. He's got a good balance and between the serious and the fun. He does, and that's what I think Channel Nine needs to get. They need him. Hewitt has been a real. He's been a positive addition to the Channel Seven commentary box for the last seven years, but. Who else can they look at getting maybe, Joel? Like, Woodbridge, Todd Woodbridge has been... Mm. He started to anchor more on Channel 7 with the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games. Do they bring him over? He does Wimbledon, the Wimbledon coverage pretty much solo. 
Um, do they get someone from Fox Sports, maybe? Do they get Wally Masseur? Who, who could you think that Channel 9 could bring on from Channel 7 or from somewhere else yeah. to anchor this coverage and to make it to make it professional? Channel 7 over the last couple of years, they've got a little bit slack. So what what do you think? Yeah, well, look, I think I think so far as anchoring is concerned, you think of names, uh, I guess, at the, the forefront of, of TV news. So you think of guys like Clint Stanaway or... Um, Tony Jones, yeah. uh, you know those those kind of people. Um, and it'd have to be those two. They'd, they'd yeah, be up there. Yeah, I think. Thinking back to when Nine had the rights to Wimbledon, um, I think Ken Sutcliffe hosted. Yeah, Ken Sutcliffe hosted. I think so far as um, special comments are concerned, I think one of the ones that stands out straight away is John Newcomb. Yeah, uh, given that he was on um, that coverage, so I could almost see him going back to Channel Nine, which yeah. would probably. Um, makes sense. It's important though that they they do get a female voice um, on that coverage because yeah. we've seen, um, you know, with with Channel Seven they're able to get um, Stubbs. Uh, I, I guess yeah, female voices on the show. Just look at um, you know Renee Stubbs, Alicia Molik, um, you know uh, those types. I almost think maybe uh, Yelena Dokic might be a good, not maybe not for for an anchor so to speak, but certainly um, as a commentator, as as that voice, um, even like a Roger yeah. Rashid role on yeah the, yeah on, on the, the on the side court. Yeah. But Josh now. With as Joel brings up this female topic now, you can't and as we're going in these, as you can't have a boys' club. So as Joel mentioned, what what other females do you think like Aaron, someone like an Erin Molan possibly to take the Mel McLaughlin role? She's been coming I, in to, I think to anchor that would it. Make perfect sense. Um, you think she would come in? Who else would you say could come in? Would you bring in? Um, would you poach Renee Stubbs from Channel Seven? I, I, think, I, think you, I think you need to try yeah. at least because yeah. you, you need to have that balance in some extent, especially obviously one of the biggest staples of like Australian Open is that, that um, kind of mirroring between you've got the men's and the women's sides. You can have just as much television yeah. of the women's matches as the men's matches. So you need that women's voice in as well okay. to kind of even it up. So I think as a necessity, you need to have that. Yeah, they de- and I'm sure they definitely will. But what also intrigues me is Channel 7 tried to, to get as much sort of pub publicity as they could and even with the draw ceremony this year that was marked down as a big fail and it was a big fail yeah um with what they did they, they spoke to roger for such a long time it was pretty much a roger gush fest which i'm happy with but then bringing, <laughs> you complaining about but that? bringing in that. but bringing in maria sharapova uh to present the female trophy and the females draw i think was really really bad um it was bad it was unfortunate it was a bad look um it was a really bad look. I think it was too um, soon. I think if you ha- if you do that, maybe in two or three years, it's a lot more acceptable. But that recently, after Maria Sharapova's saga, I think you, you are sending a bad message. Yeah, 100%. So, look, Channel 9, I think they need to learn from Seven's mistakes. They need to learn from their own mistakes in other coverages in, in terms of, I think, what they did with the cricket. They let it get too old and too sour. Yeah, um, and they let the I think commentators it's been too old and too south like five years. Yeah, ago. and they let the commentators get a little bit too comfortable. Yeah. So I think they need to really rejig things with how the tennis is broadcasted. And look at the way Fox Sports do it. I think Fox Sports do it in a really classy way, and I think they do it in a in a professional way. Yeah. Sometimes I, I think yeah, if you're sorry, sorry to cut you off there, no, but I think if you're Channel Nine, you do need to poach from Fox Sports. Yeah, you and can, as much as you can get from Channel Seven, you're not going to get what you want um, mm. coming across the tennis. So I think that's your next your next big um, push to try to get someone. And free-to-air coverage, as I said, it lacks something. And you see Mm. people who are unqualified 
to host, actually hosting. You see, like, Adam Gilchrist hosting the Formula One coverage. I love Gilly. Yeah. I love him. Um, but uh, yeah. hosting the F1 coverage... When Entertaining, but un- unqualified, I think would be a good way to describe yeah, it. You can get, you know, there's people like Emma Notta Francesco. I know she probably has other jobs, but you could get her to host its Channel 10 coverage. Greg Rust used to do it, and he would... He would be great in that yeah. situation. And Matt White, obviously, does a very good job. So there's there's a lot of things that free-to-air channels do wrong, I think, in terms of coverage. And if there's if there's two different coverages of a sport, in one on free-to-air, one on Fox Sports, I'll always watch the pay TV one because yeah. it's better. Yeah, that's the thing. I think free-to-air just gets too lazy. Yeah, apart from AFL. I think AFL is probably the staple. Yeah. But... I guess we'll see. It's it's definitely an interesting one. I can't wait till 2020 to see what they do and to see what Channel 9 have in store for the summer of tennis in Australia and also Davis Cup ties as well. I'm not sure who's got Wimbledon. That's still up in the air, but very, very interesting times ahead. Plenty more still to come on Breakpoint Podcast. We'll run through the results from last week and what happened. Rankings still to come along with our all-important previews for Monte Carlo and the Fed Cup ties this weekend. You're listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Remember to tune in every week on Wooshka as we update you with the best tennis news in the world. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, and Facebook, Breakpoint or at Breakpoint One. Keep listening as we discuss the rest of the tennis news. This is Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo, Joel Frucci, and Josh Campbell in the house discussing all things tennis this week. It's been an unbelievable, it's been a pretty uh, frantic week in terms of tennis. There's been a few tournaments as well as what we've discussed already with the broadcast rights and Jared Donaldson. So quickly, guys, let's run through what happened last week uh, in Houston. We started with the men's, uh, US Men's Clay Court Championship. Steve Johnson over Tennis Sangren. So unfortunately, tennis just couldn't get the title. Uh, of the sport that he was so aptly named after, or he wasn't named after. What what was the thing on Wikipedia, Joel? It was he was named after his grandfather, who was oh, from he's... Tennessee, but he's not. His grandfather was not a tennis player or yeah, from yeah, Tennessee. Yeah. He was, yeah, his his grandfather was from Tennessee, but was not called tennis and didn't I, play tennis. I, I need I need to find this. I need to I it need was... to find this. Well, all, all, all in all, so hang on, let me Google this. But... He wasn't going to play gridiron, was he? It was bizarre. No, it, it wasn't. It was very bizarre. But uh, Steve Johnson defeated uh, Tennis Sanger in seven six two six six four. Third career title there. Defended his Houston title uh, in Marrakesh. Well, this was one of the best stories I've seen from tennis over the past few years, and we've seen some pretty good ones. Pablo Andujar defeated Kyle Edmund in the Marrakesh final, 6-2, 6-2, fourth career fi- uh, title, first since 2014, lowest-ranked champion since Hewitt won Adelaide in 1998, ranked 550th. Two months ago, he was ranked 1,824th in the world and has had three elbow surgeries over wow. the last few years. What a story this is for the Spaniard um, to get back and win a title. Just and he's won this tournament now. Three of three of his four titles have come at this tournament, which is just unbelievable. So he's moved up over 200 spots in the rankings. What a story it is there for Andujar. Uh, in WTA, Bogota, Anna Karolina Schmedlova defeated Lara Arrua Barrena oh, in the final. He's getting excited again. Last week, uh, six two six four for her third title. And in Lugano in Switzerland, Elise Mertens uh, continued her strong year over Arena Sabalenka seven five six two in the final. I'm surprised Sabalenka didn't break the roof in that joint with how loud she grunts. But let's move on. Uh, it's time for the rankings and the top 10, Joel. Far away. Yeah, so uh, unchanged on the uh, ATP side. So up the top is Rafael Nadal, 
uh, Roger Federer at number two, Marin Cilic three, Alex Vera four, Grigor Dimitrov five, Juan Martins Del Potro six, Dominic Team seven, Kevin Anderson eight, John Isner at nine, and Davi Goffin rounds out the top ten. Thank you very much, Joel. The Aussies, Nick Kyrgios, 25, down one, Matt Ebden, down one to 78. John Millman, down two to 91. Jordan Thompson stays the same at the same ranking at 99. Alex Deminor, also same ranking of 112. Tanasi Kokonakis, down two to 150. Akira Santillan, up two to 168. Uh, Jason Kubler, also up two to 176. Alex Bolt, also up two to 177. And Bernard Tomic up three to 182nd in the world. Risers and sliders of the week. Start off, Joel. Uh, Josh, oh. I was looking at you. Sorry. <laughs> I should have just rolled with it. Uh, uh, I should have well, just rolled. We'll move on. Um, up, ten, uh, up nine spots to 47. Tennessee Sangren. Ah, Ten- oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> go, Joel. <laughs> uh, I've got Kyle Edmund, who uh, climbed three uh, to 23, which is a career high. Made the final in Marrakesh, as you said, Val. Fantastic, and I can't find this bloody tennis Sangren thing, but um, I will I will get it because I don't think it's I think it's been taken off Wikipedia, but I think I've got a photo of it on Twitter. Yeah, I and I tweeted it. it, so I will scroll down here and uh, and get it. But my riser is Pablo Andujar up 201 spots to 154th in the world. What a story that is, and what an unbelievable week for him in Marrakesh. Sliders of the week, Josh. Uh, down five spots to 88, Dennis Istvan, and after his uh, Australian Open run, he's um. Falling off a cliff. Oh, it was last year, so it's been a while. Like what? It's probably what's it been like sixteen months since then. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's been it's been a fair while. So um, disappointing for Istamin. But what, what it was like? It was seated during that. Um, like after that tournament, it was almost inside the top twenty. And yeah, it's kind of just continued to slide down. Just been very inconsistent. I think that's been that's been the main issue. Uh, Joel, your slider. Uh, Philip Kohlschreiber down 6-40 to 40. and get this in the first round of Marrakesh he lost against a uh, local player local Moroccan player uh, Lamine and I'll try and pronounce this correctly uh, Wahab ranked Lamine Wahab uh, yeah, I think that's right ranked, he's French he's, he's French he's Moroccan isn't he isn't he I'm pretty I'm, sure he's Moroccan I'm pretty sure he was French um, I'm, pretty sure he's, have a look. I'm pretty sure he's Moroccan but in, in any case whatever nationality he is he's ranked 617th in the world oh, I'm pretty sure I've ordered the Lamine Wahab oh my god ah uh, <laughs> Where did you order that? I, I can't remember. It's just it's got a really, it got a really nice tzatziki sauce to go with it. Oh my Fantastic. God, this is just going from bad to worse for you today, mate. Um, <laughs> so I need to I need to know what nationality this is. So oh no, I was wrong. I was wrong. I'm very sorry. I th- I could swear he was sorry. French. I could swear he was French. Um, yeah. Anyways, my uh, my slider is born a charge down eleven to thirty nine. Couldn't uh, defend his title. In Morocco, I don't even think he went. So, um, yeah, disappointing for him, but he'll be back and had a really good month in March playing in Miami and Indian Wells. So, brilliant stuff from him so far this year. WTA top 10, Josh. Uh, unchanged at one, Simona Halep, two, Caroline Wozniacki, three, Gabi Muguruza, four, Alina Svitolina, five, Yelena Ostapenko, six, Caroline Pliskova, seven, Caroline Garcia, eight, Venus Williams, nine, Sloane Stevens, and ten, Petra Kvitova. Cool, thank you. And the uh, just quickly before I found this tennis Sangren thing, mm-hmm. so it's not on his Wikipedia at the moment. But although tennis Sangren is a tennis player from Tennessee, he's actually named after his great grandfather, who did not play tennis and was not from Tennessee. So there you go. Someone obviously has um, taken the P one double S on uh, on the internet and uh, provided some fake information as 
does happen on Wikipedia from time to time. But Written the, in the stars, mate. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Uh, the Aussie WTA side of things, uh, Barty down 1-19, to 19, Gavrilova unchanged at 24, Stoza also unchanged at 58, Isla Tomjanovic down 2-94, to 94. Uh, Arena Rodinova unchanged at 131, Olivia Regasca down 6-152, to 152. Uh, Lizette Cabrera up 3-159, to 159. Priscilla Hon also up 3-187, to 187. Destiny Ayava up 14-212, to 212. so almost back in the top 200 and Alan Perez rounds out the Aussie top 10 at 252nd in the world unchanged Joel your riser of the week uh, yeah, the Swiss woman, uh, Stephanie Vogel, up 23 to 96. So a big jump back into the top 100. Fantastic, Josh. Uh, up 14 spots to 47. Arena Sabalenka, who made the uh, the final of the Samsung Open. Imitate her, but um, now nah, she's probably about 50 decibels higher than what I can go. So um, I don't think our mics can pick up that sound. No, nah, it's quite disturbing. Um, mine is Elise Mertens up three to 17. She's just playing a brilliant year so far, and semis at the Oz Open. So far, at the end of the year, she'd be close to a favourite for Riser of the Year. Yeah, she'd be up there. Well, she won Hobart. She's won another title here in Lugano and um, semi-finals at the Australian Open. Yeah. So she's she's in the top eight running for in the race to Singapore. That's so impressive. She's almost there. She was because um, she was near the top hundred by the start of the year, and she's just continued to push up. No, nah, she's been she's been. Oh, no, I think she was she I was in the like top forty at the start of the year. Yeah, I thought she 40. was like more like seventy eighty. Nah, top forty. Okay. She, she's she was quite high. So um, but, yeah, she's that, even yeah. higher now. Yeah. Um, slider of the week, Joel. Uh, Anna Contevate down three to thirty-one, so sort of just on the edge there uh, of uh, of her seeding positions. Fantastic, Josh. I almost said Joel, but I got there. It's very hard. It is. You um, need to change your name. Yeah, that's 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 our fault. Um, down eight spots to eighty-one, and I predicted her. I think to make the final of, of that tournament, Johanna Larson. You did. You did. Uh, yeah, disappointing not, from her. Not only did she not win it, she's let me down and put it, let herself down by falling down the rankings. Yeah, not not great. But mine is Oshan Dodan. Um, she's really struggled. She, you know, she kicked on in 2016, won a title, and she hasn't been able to find her legs on the tour since. And not sure what's going on there. She's been pretty fragile, I think, mentally. So it's been disappointing to see her not be able to yeah. to D- take the next. Disappointing to see because Ocean. Oh my god. Um, let's let's move on. I didn't. I did not mean that, and I'm glad I didn't mean it because it's just awful, Josh. Um, you, you need to lift your standards. No, mate. that's fantastic. Be quiet. <laughs> It's really not. But uh, just quickly before we go to our next segment and take a quick break, our points in the tipping competition this year. I'm on 31, Joel 29, Josh 21. No points correct for you last week, Josh. And Ryan 21, Joel, I'm disappointed in you. Mm. Yeah. Sorry. You forgot. You forgot, didn't you? Yep. Yeah. So I was- um, no, it's very, all right. We only have one point for that entire week. Yeah, anyway, so you didn't so. miss out. You're still only two behind, but who knows? You could be in front by now. If you, if it says you... a lot when Joel forgets his tips and he scores the same as me for the week. <laughs> yeah, you're having a shocker of a year this year, Josh, but who knows? Still plenty of time to go, but we better take a break. Joel, Josh, you will stick around and we'll preview this week's tournaments in Monte Carlo and the Fed Cup. You're listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Remember to tune in every week on Wooshka as we update you with the best tennis news in the world. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, and Facebook Breakpoint or at Breakpoint One. Keep listening as we discuss the rest of the tennis news. This is Breakpoint Podcast, Val Febo, Joel Frucci and Josh Campbell sitting here with you talking all things tennis on a wonderful Wednesday in Melbourne. Weather's starting to cool down a tiny bit, so it's making life in this Brunswick studio a little bit more bearable, isn't it, guys? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, that was. I, I can tell you, it's a lot better. Yeah, it, it is a lot better because we've been in here on some of the forty degree days, and it has been, it's been hell essentially. But um, let, let's digress. Monte Carlo's coming up. It's one of the best settings for a tournament throughout the ATP yeah. calendar. And look, I'm a little bit disappointed by the field. Let's go through the seeds. So Nadal one, Chilich two, Zverev three, Dimitrov four, Team five, Goffin six, Pui seven out, lost to Misha Zverev two six six one seven six. Karenio Busta was eight, but pulled out with a lower back injury. So look, that's not too bad. But Djokovic nine, Schwartzman ten, Batista Agu eleven, Burdich twelve, Fonini thirteen, Ranich fourteen, Ramos Vinales fifteen, the defending finals, and Adrian Manorino sixteenth, lost to Gilles Simon six three four six six two. Not surprised. <laughs> Just jumps in straight away with that Manorino the Manorino uh, criticism. Hatred. Yeah, well, hatred's a better word. Um well it's not hatred, you just hate the way he plays, don't you? Just a, not a good style of tennis. Yeah. It's not. Um well, he's alright. I don't mind him overly much. But look, Manorino's the bottom seed. 16. He's ranked 26th in the world. If you're, if there's only 16 seeds and you're getting seeded at 26th, I think that's a really disappointing showing for a Masters for 1000. For a Masters 1000, yeah. Considering no Federer, no Dalpo, no Anderson, no Isner, no Query, no Sock, no Chung, no Vavrinka. Eight of the top 21 are at, not at this tournament. Yeah. Stan's injured, of course. But that's quite, quite irritating when you're a Monte Carlo tournament director. You're a massive, like, this is one of the massive tournaments of the year. It's got it's one of the most amounts of money being poured into the tournament and the resources. Exclusive club they're playing at right on the water in Monte Carlo. Tax haven. Most of the players live there. Um, it's. I reckon, wouldn't you be disappointed if you were the tournament director of this tournament and seeing eight of the top 21 I not reckon, participating? I reckon you're a little disappointed and then you see that uh, little Nadal guy with the number one ranking knowing that he's playing and know that you'll be fine. Yeah, but... I, I, the people going to Monte Carlo... The majority are there to see Nadal. That is true, but look, if you get guys... Songer's not there either. He's injured. There's yeah. so many players there, that aren't there. There are definite... Defin- Murray. There are definite draw cards that aren't there, and obviously, no matter where he goes, Federer is just you, you, yeah. big, one of the massive draw cards. But I think just knowing that Nadal is there and the fact that Nadal's probably just going to win this tournament anyway, I reckon mm. he's not too, too fast. Yeah, I think you'd need Nadal to win. Yeah. And you would need him to win. There's another person that we haven't talked about really at all. You mentioned him as a seeded player, but we haven't even talked about him basically this year, and that's Novak Djokovic. Oh, we've discussed him at great lengths this year, I'm pretty sure. We've had, uh, we've had more many headlines. As opposed to his tennis, the more, like, you're talking about his injuries, not opposed yeah. to like, how well, he's... Because in... that's been the issue. Yes. But did you see his game again to Son Lajevic? Yeah, he destroyed him. Destroyed six him. love, six Looked one. Looked really good as well. Yep. Well, Lajevic wasn't at his best. Novak said that he's been playing pain-free for the first time in 12 months. He's ditched Agassi and Stepanek as a coach. He's gone back to Marian Vida, who's his original coach on the tour, and since he's been a kid. Um, he's going back to what brought in his success. Yes, and that's exactly right. But look, Novak... I, Lajevic wasn't at his best. He qualified. He's probably a little fatigued. And Joel, looking at Novak, do you think it was more a Lajevic thing? Do you really think he's playing pain-free? He's just had surgery and gone yeah. through Miami and Indian Wells. Do you really think he was pain-free? Or do you reckon that he was just sort of telling a, a little fib? Look, uh, yeah, I'd like to think so, but given the nature of the injury, it's kind of hard to believe. Yeah. Um, it, it, it takes time um, to you know work your way back from that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't, I don't doubt Novak's integrity, but it, it, it is kind of hard to believe, just given the, given the type of injury that, that it was. Yeah, and elbows are so difficult to come oh, back yeah. from. So, look, well, we are going to get a good test of it because in his next three matchups, he has Borna Coric, yep. 
most likely, oh, no, confirmed now to be Dominic Team, yep. and then almost certainly Rafael Nadal. It will be that. Nadal. Yeah, it will be Nadal. But you got to say I, I don't think he's getting because you never. He's know. not getting past Team. I don't. You think. you like flat out saying Novak that. will not get past Team. Bowl of words right now. Say without a shadow of a doubt that Team will beat Djokovic. Shadow of a doubt. Team will beat Djokovic. Hundred okay. percent. I'm confirming. It's there waiting for you. Right here. Bowl of words pouring out because I know I'm not going to need to eat them next week. Um, I'll bring a jug if I'm wrong. Okay. Um, okay, but look, let's get to our picks here and who we think is going to win this tournament. We'll start with you, Joel. I think I know who your titleist is going to be, but uh, let's tell us anyway who you think. Uh, I think Dominic Team will win. Really? Yeah. Okay, I did not know that. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> as you can tell by the high-pitched of my... Really? <laughs> really? Um, <laughs> uh. Who's he beating in the final? Um, Marin Cilic. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's I, just, a... I just think that... That we're just waiting for Dominic Team to be this kind of next rapper. On clay, on, anyway. On clay. And is, is this his year? I, uh, I think this might be sort of when the when the tide starts to turn. I don't know. I'm taking a bit of a gamble, but I, I'm, I, I believe in this guy. Well, we've seen now four of the last five Masters 1000s, first-time winners, pretty much. So yeah. we've seen Dimitrov win Cincinnati, Federer won in Shanghai, so cancel that out. But Sock won Paris, Del Potro won Indian Wells, Isner won Miami. Can we get another one? Four in a row for Masters 1000s. Can team finally get there? He's definitely got the clay court game. Let's see what he can do. Josh, who's your pick? Uh, I've gone for a shock and gone Rafael Nadal to win. And I've got him knocking over my boy, Marin Cilic. Cilic. Is and, the, I don't think the number And it's unfortunate coming. because that, that top side of the draw is so stacked. It really is. There's not... Mm. You've got Cilic and you've got the... I don't... No, not going to spoil it, but the other person who could most likely win from that bottom side of the draw, which is... Alexander Zverev. Yes. He's in the bottom side. But look, that top half, well, that top quarter, Nadal, team... Djokovic, yeah. all in that quarter. And Chorich, throw, and Chorich throw him well, in. Yeah. So it's it's just, it is ridiculous what's happening up there. But my, my pick, obviously, Nadal over Zverev in the finals. Zverev's got that game on clay. Didn't play too badly against him in the Davis Cup on the same surface. So let's see what he can do. But look, let's go to the Fed Cup now. That's our ATP preview of the week done. Fed Cup. Some really massive ties coming up in the semifinals. The World Group semis, Germany against the Czech Republic in Stuttgart, indoor clay court tournament. This is going to be really interesting. The German team, Julia Georges, Angelique Kerber, Tatiana Maria, and Annalena Gronfeld, who is doubles ranked twenty or is ranked twentieth in the world at doubles, against the Czech team of Karolina Pliskova, Petra Kvitova, Barbara Stritzova, who's twenty sixth in singles, twelfth in doubles, and Katarina Siniakova, fifty second in singles, seventh in the world in doubles. This tie has just got Awesome, written all over it. And what what do we think, guys? Who who have we got winning this tie? It's it's massive because you've got pretty much four top fifteen players playing the reverse and original singles matches. Um, Plusiva and Kvitova, you'd probably back in singles, but on clay, it's very difficult. Nullifies their power. What do we think, Joel? Who wins this tie? Yeah, uh, I would have said normally. I would have said probably Czech Republic, maybe three two or four one. But I think I think the uh, I think the, the uh, surface evens it out a lot, uh, a whole lot. So, look, I still think they'll win. Um, yeah, so, no, look, I'll, I think I'll say Czech Republic 3-2. Yeah. Yep, thank you. And Josh? Well, funnily enough, I actually think these are the two best Fed Cup teams in the world at the moment because uh, the American team, like without the Williams sisters, I don't think they're uh, maybe just underneath like the German and Czech Republic yep. teams. So to have it as a semi-final, it's a massive matchup. 
I, I do tend to lean towards the Czech Republic. I think Pliskova and Kvitova have both been so good this year. Obviously, Stritzova and Sinjakova are both very good at, on doubles. They'll be matched up well. It'll be interesting to see how Kerber goes against both of them as well. Julia Jazez obviously had a massive year. So fantastic matchups from all four. I think I'm going to lead towards Czech Republic, and I'm going to go with a 4-1 win. 4-1, okay. Czech I think Republic. Angie Kerber struggles against both um, uh Kvitova and Pliskova in the singles match. I think she just struggles on clay, I reckon. So, yeah. um, look, we'll see what happens. But I've got... Uh, I agree with Joel. I think Czech Republic going through 3-2 in uh, I assume you've both got Germany winning the doubles. Uh, no, I've got the Czech Republic winning the doubles. Really? So you've mm-hmm. got um, Kerber winning... I don't know. I, I honestly couldn't pick the singles. I just think it'd be two all and probably come down to the doubles. Okay. Um, I, I just couldn't pick who would win. You never know with... Women's tennis, it's just that yeah. up and down. Uh, the French will take on the Americans in, I don't know how to say this, I think this is right, Asian Provence. I don't know, we'll go with it. Um, indoor <laughs> clay, right. indoor clay. Christina Mladenovic will lead the French team, singles 20th, doubles 14th. Then it gets pretty light. Uh, Pauline Parmentier, uh, singles 122nd, and Amandine Hess, singles 204th. I haven't seen a fourth player on their team sheet, so I don't know what they're going in with. I don't know who they're going to go in with, um, which worries me a little bit. And the American stronghold, the defending champs, Stevens, ninth, Keys, 13th, Vanderway, 16th, very classy doubles player. Bethany Maddox-Sands is back. She's ranked 32nd in the world in doubles, but let's not forget she won the Australian Open and French Open in doubles last year. So... Look, it's very hard to look past the Americans here, isn't it? Yeah. So, I, who have you got, John? I've got the Americans 5-love. I was tossing up between a sweep and a 4-1 victory because I know Mladenovic is still very talented. But I think this could be um, a sweep for the Americans and they take it out cool. early. All right. And Joel? 5-0. Uh, USA 5-0. I've got uh, USA 4-1. So, I reckon... I just think that they'll get that... That one tie, the French, I reckon Milenovic might be able to overcome one of Keys or Stevens there. The World Group playoffs now. The Australians will head to Wollongong for the first time since Sam Stowe's very first tie, I think 13 years ago. Indoor hardcourt, they'll take on the Netherlands without Kiki Burton, so already a very difficult prospect for the Dutch. Um, look, it's very hard to look past the Aussies with the team that they've fielded. Ash Barty, singles 19, doubles 6th. Gavrilova, singles 24, doubles 61st. Sam Stozer has won doubles Grand Slam. She's ranked 58th in the world, but always very classy and will show a lot of leadership there. And also, Destiny Iada will play. She, I, I doubt that she'll take any sort of part in the match, barring injury. But look, what what do we think, quickly, before we get to the Dutch lineup? Before the Australian or of the Australian lineup, do you think Iava was the right person to put as that fourth per, as that fourth team well, team I, member? I don't kind of think it matters to be honest. I think for her, it's good experience to be a part of a Fed Cup team. It is, and yes. I, I, at her age, so young, she's still she's is she eighteen yet or yeah, she's eighteen. She's okay, eighteen. Or I think actually looking at this, turning or maybe turning nineteen. Um, but um, what like what that gives you for not a, actually not 18 yet 17, 17, 17 18 in what May. that experience gives you is something that you can't measure to anything else in terms of uh, grand slams and things like that playing in a fair club playing for your country it's something special joel do you think anyone else could have been put in that side because I've, I've looked at the australian list there's a few players i reckon i would put in front of iava i just think the way that she reacts i'm not sure that i'd want her around the team to be honest bit of a negative nelly <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. Um, so what we've got: Stozo, Dasha, yeah, Barty, and Barty, of course, and Justin Arva. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and Amolik has said today on SEN that 
Delacqua would have hundred yeah, percent be in the side the doubles, if yeah. um if she had never retired. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, gee whiz. Oh, I guess um I guess Strato, you think of uh you think of the I guess the Rodian over um yeah, but she's not getting picked. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> who, I don't who, think she, who does get picked? The thing is, I'd put Fallis. I rate Fallis a lot yeah. more highly than I do Ayava. Put in Lizette Cabrera. I think she she could go into the side. Um, look, there, there's so many of them now, so many young players that you that you could put in. But Ayava, I think, I think the thing with Ayava is, is that you can see the potential with her game. Same with Fallis, though. Yeah. I see more potential with Fallis, to be honest. I think maybe with Ayala, she's, she's got more natural athleticism. And I think... No, I don't think she does. That? I disagree. I'm, I think Fallis does. You reckon? Yeah. I okay. think Fallis has a lot more of a... Uh, she, she's lighter and she moves a lot quicker. So I reckon um, tennis ability, maybe the way to... The ability to club the ball, I think maybe Ayala in that, in that sense. But Fallis does hit it pretty damn hard. So I guess we'll see. But look, the Aussies have gone that way. And who are we to... A way to really critique. It's a very hard position to be in that Fed Cup mm. selection squad. Well, so. more importantly, she's not going to play. You wouldn't think so, no. no. Um, maybe if there's a dead rubber, she might yeah. get the experience. But the Dutch team of Leslie Kirk. Kirkhove, I think that's how you say it. Um, doubles ranking of 62nd, singles 210. Uh, Quirin Lemoine, uh, doubles 184, singles 295. Demi Scherz doesn't have a singles ranking, doubles 29. And Indy DeVroom, she is 20, should be 22 this year in May and doesn't have a singles or doubles ranking. So that, uh, that helps the Dutch a lot. Um, I've got the Aussies winning this with a, cl- with a clean sweep. So what do you guys have? I also have the Aussies winning a clean sweep. Queen, <laughs> clean sweep. There we go. However, um, I think with both Kirkhove and Scherz, both decently ranked doubles players, it won't be a very easy doubles match. Yeah, that, that, that'll probably be. But Barty's ranked in the top 10 in doubles, yeah. so I reckon we'll be fine in that sense, Joel. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, we like being different, but it's hard to kind of, you know, find an alternative to 5-0, five, five I think. Yeah, no, nah, 100%. I agree. Uh, Belarus and Slovakia now. So these teams, um, Belarus look... Pretty good. Uh, Sabalenka, Sasnovich, Vera Lapko, and Lydia Marazava. Yep, that's right. And uh, Slovakia, say it like you mean it, Mel. Uh, Anna Karolina Schmedlova, Victoria Kuzmova, uh, Jana Sepalova, and Rebecca Stremkova. That's a good name. Stremkova. Sounds sounds good. Um, Look, surely the the Belarusians go through here. They they look the goods. they pull out a lot of surprises in the Davis Cup. No, as a ranker, but look, I, th- I think they'll be fine. I've got them four-one. What do you guys have? I five-nil actually. All right, Joel goes yeah. with the five-nil. I've gone four-one, and I think Schmidlova, um after she had a massive ranking rise, will be a, a, a good chance of taking out one of the ties. So, and you've got, so four-one was it? Yeah, I've got four-one. Writing all these down, so I've got them documented. Um, so now we've got uh, Switzerland v Romania. This is in Cluj Naposa in Romania. Halep and Sirstea play. Um, I, I don't think there's any way back here for Switzerland. Um, they don't have nearly as strong a side. They've got Bashinsky and Goljevic, but uh, not over Halep and Sirstea, and especially Halep on clay. Um, I've got. Well, I do have Romania winning three two, but mainly because Bashinsky's in the side. Um, but just due to the Halep factor, I don't see Switzerland getting through. What do you guys have? Oh, I could um, almost see Romania winning five nil here. I've gone really? for I've gone for one. Um, I yep. Th- I How th- th- be clinical? But what I was really amazed to see that the fact that Romania have four inside the top forty. 
rankings. Good player. Good or oh, good team. Good sorry. team. Good team. I, I was like, I, if you had, a they, top, they, they if you had asked me that question, there was no way I would have said that that yeah. was right because that seems unfathomable. They're a strong side. They're really like, strong. Halep Sustaya at thirty-four, then Arena Camelia Begu at thirty-eight, doubles twenty-five, and Mahela Buzanescu, who's just risen out of absolutely nowhere. Yeah. I didn't know who the hell she was at the start of the year. Um, she's at fortieth uh, in the world and double sixty five. So they've got. I a very would say Halep has a big um, influence on that. I think she would be helping her fellow compatriots a lot in their improvements in their tennis. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so what have you got, Joel? Uh, I think Romania four one. Romania four one, four one, and finally the final tie is Belgium v Italy in Genova. So teams here: Arani, the only real woman of note Did for, you say for Italy. It is in Genova. Genova. Ge- Genova. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. Are you supposed to be Italian? Yes, but <laughs> I, I, I've always thought it was Gen- Genova. Okay, all right. Because I, I, I just went from, you know, the city Geneva. Yeah, from Geneva, Switzerland. Well, yeah, yeah, but it's very similar, very close. But the Belgians, let's move on from my horrid pronunciation. Elise Mertens, Alison Van Wietbank, Ed Sheeran, uh, Kirsten Flipkins, and Isaline Bonaventure. Uh, against Sarah Arani and well, Jasmine Paulini, never heard of. Deborah Chiesa, never heard of. Or Chiesa and Jessica Pieri, never heard of either, unfortunately. Um, I've got Belgium winning this 4-1. Arani might pinch one. Fair enough. I've yeah. got 5-0. 5-0? Belgium. So, yeah. Belgium. Well, this is where the uh, the prodigy kicks in a little bit. I've got Italy winning 3-2. Oh, give me a spell. <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah. I, I, really? I, as an upset. I'm thinking Jeez, that's play, a massive, it's a massive upset, upset if, possi- I think, if it does pl- happen. Playing at home, um, Sarah Rani maybe wins both her single matches. They sneak the, uh, the doubles and then they win 3-2. Okay, all right. Well, we'll review all of that next week when we come back for our next show. That's about all we've got time for today. We've discussed a fair bit. Um, remember, you can tune in on Wooshka. That's our uh, podcast page. That's where we upload all of our wonderful content, or we think it's wonderful anyway. Um, so that, the show will be up there tonight. We'll also have uh, our Facebook and Instagram. Instagram page and Twitter as well. Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, uh, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, Facebook Breakpoint. You can search us up, give us a like and a follow. Uh, Joel Frucci is on Joel Frucci. Give him a follow. He's always got wonderful tweets coming out. And Campbell D. Joshua as well. He doesn't tweet as much, so um, probably don't have to follow him if you don't want to. Oh, I, I reckon there's a good chance I start using it again. All right. Well, he's getting involved. One tweet it. a week. Get ready yeah. for it. Oh, geez. That's what? 52 a year? Yep. Yeah, better be gold. Oh, they're always gold. Yeah. Well, thank you very much anyways, guys. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Val. Great to be here. And Joel, thank you very much as usual. See you next week, boys. Thanks, guys. And that's it for Breakpoint. As I said, give us a follow on social media. Val Febo this week here on Breakpoint Podcast. Hope you have a lovely day and a lovely week.